Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Welcome to those of you who are at home watching online. I don't know which camera you are, but one of these two, three, one of you guys, welcome, glad you're here. Um, We're starting a new series today called Peace Lost, and we come into the time period in the Old Testament as we've been reading through the Bible this year, where um, the Israelites had it all going for them. Um, They had become a mighty nation. They were blessed by God. He was their chosen people. And isn't it the way it normally is with us? When things are going well, we tend to relax other areas of our lives. When things are going well, we tend to take for granted when things aren't going well. We tend to take for granted, oftentimes, if you're a believer in Christ, we tend to take for granted our relationship with Christ when things are going well. And that can be very problematic and difficult because when that happens, we open ourselves up without realizing it to the attacks of the enemy. Of course, when we're going through hard times, we can say, oh, it's just really hard. There's a spiritual battle. There's hard things happening. The devil is against me or God's against me. But when things are going good, we cast all caution to the wind and there's nothing that can harm us or hurt us. We're on top of the world. Every cloud has a silver lining. But like the Israelites, they'd gotten to that point and they began to allow certain things to be compromised within their belief in God. And this didn't happen overnight. This was a slow drift over a course of centuries. It seems like in our day and age, things happen overnight. We catch the headlines on the news and are like, what? What's going on now? We are in a rapid-paced society and world right now where it seems like things change by the minute. The Israelites began to compromise their faith and belief by slightly changing certain things in their religious practices and worship as a people. Did God really say it was wrong to do this? Or did he really say we, we can't do that? Why can't we add a little bit more to our worship experience by adopting the practices of the nations around us? Well, can we do that? Can it, be, it should be fine, right? And so little by little, king after king and leader after leader, the nation of Israel, which broke into two fractions, a northern and a southern kingdom, no one more holy than the other, began to adopt certain practices of the pagan nations around them that did not worship Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they began to adopt these practices of child sacrifice. Eventually, it didn't happen overnight, but generation after generation of drifting century after century of allowing their faith in God to slightly ebb a little bit more and a little bit more, we come to the place in Scripture today where God says, I've had enough. I've contended with you for centuries. I've loved you through every rejection. But here's what's going to happen. I've got to let you go. And because you've rejected me so much, I love you enough to allow you to have what you think is best for you, even though I don't want that for you. And so I will let you drift and I'll let you go and you'll suffer the consequences of your own actions. I will withdraw. When we look at the judgment of God, we often think God pours out his wrath. You know what really, what judgment really is? It is God's withdrawal of protection and security from his people. That's what judgment is. Can he enact 
things? Yes. Scripture says he does these things. But I want you to understand, when he does those things, it's his withdrawing of his power, authority, and protection over his people. Because without God maintaining the sense of order within a society, what do you think society devolves into when God's presence is no longer there? You can tell me. I want to know. Chaos. Chaos, Anarchy. Well, God's ways, I don't like them because they won't let me do this or they make me want, uh, have to do this in order to be in alignment with God and his perfect. Yes, but do you realize as a loving parent to his children, he wants to see them succeed. And so we may not always understand the rules that he puts in place, but we can always understand they are for our good not to harm us. And so when we reject God's perfect standard because he is the perfect standard bearer, we in essence reject a sense of peace. Because do you remember a few weeks ago we looked in Isaiah? Again, we're going to be looking at Isaiah today, chapter 48. But we looked at Isaiah in the passage of scripture that says, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. Do you remember that? And we talked about how This child would be known as the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and of his government there shall be no end. But what kind of government is it? Do you remember? It's a government defined by peace. I contend today that where there is no peace within a society, it's where there is an absence of God or rather a rejection of God. When there is an absence of peace within the individual, when their heart and their minds are in turmoil, it's because of a rejection of God. And I believe I could prove that today with this passage of Scripture. The northern kingdom had been overtaken by the Assyrians. Now the Assyrians had been taken over by the Babylonians because they've now risen to power and they are encroaching upon Jerusalem. They've all but taken over the southern kingdom. The mighty walls around Jerusalem are still in place, and so the capital of the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, is still intact, but barely. And Isaiah now comes to them, the prophet of God, and says, it's over. It's over. You're going to eventually succumb to the forces of the Babylonian kingdom, this pagan nation. And you're going to be sent into exile, those of you that aren't massacred by this onslaught. But eventually, God is going to prove faithful once again, even though you don't deserve it. Because eventually, and this is way before the time of Cyrus, Isaiah prophesies about a king king named Cyrus, who is not a Babylonian, but rather of the government and empire known as the Medo-Persians that would eventually overtake the Babylonians. And that king would set captives free to go back home to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild their city and their temple again. So let's pick up Isaiah 48, starting with verse 12. Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. Listen to me, O family of Jacob. When he references a family of Jacob, Jacob is where the 12 tribes of Israel come from. It's where the nation of Israel comes from. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 32, when Jacob wrestles with God, he has a name change. Do you remember when he walked away from that wrestling with God? What was his name? Israel. So why do we have the nation of Israel? Because it's named after Jacob who had a name change and got a true blessing from God And his sons became the tribal leaders of this great nation we would know as Israel. He said it was, uh, listen, O family of Jacob, Israel, my chosen one, I alone am God, the first and the last. What is God establishing right now with his people who are so compromised that God says, I'm done, I'm done. What is happening? What is he reminding them of? See, you've rejected me, God says. But I'm, <laughs> I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the Almighty One. You can scoff at that. You can rebuke that. You can, you can mock that. But the reality is truth is truth no matter if you want to call it a lie. 
So I am the almighty God, the first and the last. It was my hand that laid the foundations of the earth. Nobody else. It was my hand that laid the foundations of the earth. And my right hand spread out the heavens above. It was my creative purposes that brought everything into existence. Not because I'm a selfish, hateful, vengeful God the way that other nations' gods are, but rather because I love you. Verse 14, have any of your idols ever told you this? He's speaking to his own people, the Israelites, the Jewish people. Do you hear what he's saying? Have any of your other idols ever told you this? Because they've adopted the worship of other nations and other gods. Come, all of you, listen. The Lord has chosen Cyrus as his ally. And people in that day and age would have gone, Cyrus? Who's Cyrus? Again, because this is many, many years before Cyrus came onto the scene. He will use him to put an end to the empire of Babylon and to destroy the Babylonian armies. I've said it. I'm calling Cyrus. I will send him out on this errand and will help him succeed. Can God use people outside of his chosen ones to bring about his perfect will? Yes. And he proves that time and time again in Scripture and time and time again today. I will send him on this errand and will help him succeed. Come closer and listen to this. God's saying, listen, lean in a little bit more because I'm afraid you're not hearing what I'm saying. From the beginning, I have told you plainly what would happen. I love this about God. He doesn't pull any punches. One of the things about God is he lays it out. Whether you like it or not, he lays out the expectation. One of the, one of the uh, first meetings I have when I'm doing premarital counseling is a, is a session on expectations. That's the whole first session. After I get to know the couple a little bit better, we spend the rest of the time talking about expectations. Because one of the biggest factors of the problems within the early parts of marriage, and I would even say in the later parts of marriage, is you've never not only defined the relationship, but defined your expectations within the relationship. And so oftentimes when you begin to do life together and you find out like a year, two, three, five years or so on later, I never knew you that was something you liked or desired or expected. Have you ever had that? What? You, when were you going to tell me? I don't know, but you should know, right? And I mean on either side of the relationship. You should have known. If you truly knew me, you'd love me, and you'd know what I expect. Oh, hogwash. You know, I mean, that's really, see, God lays out the terms of the agreement. He says, here's what I expect. But here's also what I expect you not to do. If you do these things that will go well with you, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will protect you. I will keep you secure. I will provide for you. You will live a long life in the land. You will bear many children. Things will be great. He lays it out from the beginning. I've told you plainly what would happen. He also lays out plainly what would happen if those, if those commands and teachings weren't followed. Read the whole book of Deuteronomy. We call that the second law, or it's known as the second law in Judaism. Deuteronomy, it's a retelling of the law from Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. It's kind of a capstone course, if you will. And in Deuteronomy, he says, if you do this, this will happen. However, if you do the contrary, it's not going to go well. And so the Israelites in Isaiah's time, had they been people of the word and following the commands of God, would have known that, okay, we've not been living according to his standards. Instead, we've been living according to our own and all, all the other culture standards. And so here's what's going to happen. We're going to lose it all. Our freedoms are going to be gone. We're going to be led away into captivity. Everything's going to change and not for the better. And now, the sovereign Lord and his spirit have sent me with this message. 
This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, and that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which actually is the transliteration of Yahweh, the name God gave himself at the burning bush. I am that I am. When you see that, God is speaking directly his own name that he gave Moses at the burning bush. I am the sovereign Lord. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths that you should follow. Oh, that you had listened to my commands. Then you would have had peace flowing like a gentle river and righteousness rolling over you like waves of the sea. Do you see, he said past tense there? You would have had, meaning it's changing now. Church, our culture is ever-changing. And no matter what side of the issue you stand on this is between you and God. But honestly, I see parallels in the traditions of Scripture where we, as a people of God, the church, have begun to compromise And I don't mean compromise with a hard nose and being a jerk about it, but I mean compromising in a nonviolent way to show that we still love in spite of our differences of opinion. Now, we, we have become a compromised people because it's easier to shift the way of the popular culture so you don't get canceled. And you may be hearing me right now scoffing at that, thinking I'm stupid and an idiot. And that's okay. I'm I'm willing to receive that if that's what you're hurling. But the truth of the matter is, as a student of the Word of God, I can't help but think we might be repeating same things again as many generations and other cultures and nations before us have that have led to their own downfall. I don't want God's word to us as the church in America to be. You would have had peace flowing like a gentle river and righteousness rolling over you like waves of the sea. I don't want that to be a past tense for us. See, the enemy has a crafty way of making us believe that every desire of our heart is good when not all desires of the human heart are good because many of them are morally corrupt because we are fallen human beings struggling against sin, struggling against the spiritual powers of this dark world. And the only way to get out of the bog and the mire and the muck of the sin and the devastation of the evil in this world is to allow Christ to elevate us above that. Doesn't mean we won't be affected by the world, but it does mean we can make it through with peace that passes understanding. Verse 20, yet even now, be free from your captivity. He's given this one last time. Come on. Listen, you can still be free. It looks like the odds are stacked against you. And you're trying in your own ways to get out of this mess and to make yourself a way and to make peace for yourself. The only way to peace is through me. Right now, just set yourselves free from this. Break off the chains of bondage that are holding you back From me, God says. Leave Babylon and the Babylonians. Sing out this message. Shout it to the ends of the earth. The Lord has redeemed his servants, the people of Israel. They were not thirsty when he led them through the desert. He's reminding them. Do you remember when you came out of Egypt? And and even the 40 years when you were punished to wander in the wilderness, you still had water. You still had food. You still had provision because I was with you. Lean on me, he says. Come back to me. He divided the rock and water gushed out for them to drink. But then in verse 22, he says, but there is no peace for the wicked, the Lord says. 
God draws this stark defining line. Again, God doesn't complicate things. You know, the enemy complicates things. We read this morning in my class that I was teaching in John chapter 8 that, G, or that Satan is a liar, the devil is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. And the biggest tool that he uses to get us in his snares is to get us to believe a lie about God, about ourselves, about the church, about the culture. If he can get us to believe the lie that he tells us and implants in our own thoughts to believe, then he's won victory over our hearts, our souls, our minds, and everything in us. But when we, who are people of God, are completely surrendered to God, heart, soul, mind, and body, guess what happens? We are able to clearly see reality for what it is. It doesn't mean we won't struggle with temptation or addiction or any number of things, but it does help us to see the addiction and the temptation for what it is, evil. You see, there's a God who loves us, but he will only contend for us for so long until he says, fine, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's not because I don't love you, but if you keep rejecting me, now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been in a relationship before? A romantic relationship. You can raise your hand on that. Okay, yeah, that's not rhetorical. Okay, can I ask you a question? How many of you would stay in a relationship where you're rejected all the time? Let me ask you, how many of you would? Where you kept being rejected after rejection after rejection, talked down to, abused, you were cheated on multiple times. How many of you would stick in a relationship like that? Many of you maybe even have personal examples of that in your own lives where that happened to you. And you said, I can't do this with you anymore. I love you, but if you don't change, I can't be with you. Well, God's not like humans. No, he's not. But we as image bearers of God reflect or should reflect the image of God in all we do and say. And the only way we can reflect that image perfectly is to have Christ in us being restored human beings, new creations. Does this make sense? Have I lost you guys? Is this thing on? Or is this real heavy? No? Okay. All right. Good. So... Here's the, here's the key. The key point this morning is this. Peace is lost when God's ways are rejected. Simply put, I'm not trying to be philosophical, trying to use wordplay. Peace is lost when God's ways are rejected, period. Jesus, in the Great Commission, which we have on our wall back here as a part of our mission to know, grow, and go. What is the Great Commission? Do you remember? Go into all the world, Jesus says to his followers. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and what? Come on. Those of you at home, scream it out. <laughs> Teaching them to do what? Obey what? Just a couple things that he commanded? Okay, so he, as an extension of who God is, God in the flesh through Jesus Christ, Jesus says... Go make disciples, but don't just leave it there. Don't just make believers in me. Make disciples of them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Well, he's a jerk. That sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? But as much as that may sound blasphemous to you, some of you are living that way. Well, I don't like that part of God's word. It's okay. You don't have to like it. You can reject the truth until you're blue in the face, but it's still not going to make it any different. You see, it boils down to this one fact. If Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and there was no one to the Father except through him, and what Jesus said was true in everything he said, you either accept it or reject it. You cannot just take a little bit of it. It's all or nothing. Jesus oftentimes in the Gospels drew a line in the sand. You know why he did that? Because he knew there were people following him for the tricks and the favors and for what they could get out of it. And Jesus says, unless you're following me for my sake instead of for what you can get out of it, this isn't going to work. How many of you have been in relationships like that? Where somebody's in a relationship with you or you're in a relationship with somebody because of the benefit you got out of it rather than what you put into it for the other person. 
Marriages do not last when they're constantly take, 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 and take until they've taken all they can take and there's nothing more to take and then they're like, ah, I think I'm done here. And they move on. Why are the divorce rates so high? It's not because of the no-fault divorce stuff that came into play in the 70s, which did escalate the process. It's because people lived for themselves rather than for God and each other. Selfishness is the root of all evil in this world. It started all the way back in the beginning, and it continues till now, and it has become so perverted and contorted in every aspect of life that it takes what's good, what God has called good, and makes it into something other than good. So let me get back to this. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, when peace is lost is only when you reject him. Your life could be literally going through hell. You may have lost people to tragic circumstances. You may be, maybe you've gotten a call of a terminal illness that you didn't expect. Maybe you've lost your job, your source of income. Maybe you are on the brink of homelessness. But if you have Christ, guess what? You can still have peace. I've seen people lose everything and say, it's just material stuff. It's okay. I can't take that stuff with me when I leave this life. Because they have an eternal perspective. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, he says, think of the things of heaven. Because they have that kind of perspective, they don't get bogged down in the details of the worries of this life. Jesus even says, how much more time can you add to your life by worrying? But I find the worrisome, the most worrisome of people are those that are living that edge, trying to see how much they can do without stepping across the line. <laughs> we do that, right? Even believers in Christ, all right, how close can I? God, you didn't really say that I couldn't do this, but it's right there on the edge. Well, there's so many gray areas in the Bible, Brandon, so everything's okay. Actually, the Bible does tell us in the New Testament, this is one of Paul's writings, though everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial or profit, profitable, right? What he's saying is, you can do whatever you want. There are laws and consequences for that behavior. You can do whatever you want. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. There's a benefit or a consequence to every decision you make. And through Jesus and God's teachings, we, we know that the benefit of following completely in his ways and his will is peace and everlasting life. Anything less is death and everlasting separation. Only the people who are willing to trust God for who he really is can have peace, which is the first point. Only the people who are really willing to trust God for who he really is can have peace. The second point this morning is this. There is always hope for those who are willing to follow God even when they don't understand his ways. I meet people all the time who say, I don't understand this in scripture. Or why does God expect this? Or why doesn't God allow this? But I see those same people saying, I still trust God no matter what. I just don't understand this. You see, there's always hope for those who are willing to follow God even when they don't understand his ways. But there's rarely hope for the one who completely rejects. I'm not saying it's impossible. God can redeem the most impossible person in the most impossible situation only if there's a, even a minuscule amount of willingness on the part of the individual. So I don't want to say there's no hope, but there's virtually no hope for those who reject God outright. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds hopeless, doesn't it? Because <laughs> it is. Because there is only hope found in Christ Jesus, in the word of God, the living word and the written word, and living our lives for his purposes rather than for ours. I'm not going to go off on that tangent. Okay, uh, in the midst of God's discipline of the nation of Israel, even the remnant experienced loss. Do you get this? 
So guess what? When the Assyrians took over the northern kingdom, there were still faithful people, men and women and children, who had not bowed to the idols of the culture and those things that had invaded the people of God. There were still the faithful people of God in the northern kingdom and even the southern kingdom by the time the Babylonians came along. And we called them, you'll notice oftentimes the language in the Old Testament is called the remnant. We read about that in the New Testament too, reflecting back on the Old Testament. There's always a remnant. Guess what they had to suffer because of the disobedience of the nation? Same consequences. Well, I should be exempt. I didn't do anything wrong. That's not fair. God's unfair. Is really God unfair? Let's be honest. Again, you've heard me say this multiple times. Let me just say it one more time. If it's true... What Paul writes in Romans 3.23, which I botched really bad in March of 2019, which we didn't publish online, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glorious standard of God. Either that's true or it's false. If it's false, it shouldn't be in Scripture. If it's false, then it calls into question everything else in Scripture. So it's either true or it's false. There's no middle ground there. All have sinned. If all have sinned, what do all sinners deserve? Death. That's what we were told in the beginning. Go to Genesis 3. Do not do this, for when you do it, you will die. And that same curse has been perpetuated throughout human history until Christ came onto the scene and was able to set us free from the curse of sin and death through his death and resurrection. So now... What happens to those who are faithful believers in God and Christ when the nation or the larger context of a people becomes corrupt? The judgment's poured out, even upon the good. But see, God maintains a remnant. There's a sense of protection even in the midst of punishment for those who continue to be faithful. Those that were sent out into exile, into Assyria and Babylon, who continued to maintain their faithfulness to God, even though they were no longer a people with a nation, God said, Cyrus is going to let you come back because I'm going to orchestrate after enough time of punishment for you to go back and rebuild because I love you. My punishment is not forever this side of heaven. But you breathe your last breath, having rejected God, punishment is eternal. And no, we don't like to hear that. We just don't. I don't like to say it. It feels weird to say it, but it's true. Our culture has so coddled us to where we can't be offensive anymore. Because if you're offensive, then you're you're evil. Do you know how offensive Jesus was? I mean, you can't read the context of his own teachings in that culture at that time and not realize he is hammering those people with truth that steps on every bit of their sense of pride. He was offensive. He was so offensive, in fact, that they said, we got to do something about this guy. What do you think happens today in cultures where people maintained a public faith in Christ, where it's illegal to be a Christian, to own a Bible, guess what happens? You want to take a guess? We live at a time period now where Christian persecution globally is at an all-time high within any other time period in human history. There are more people being persecuted and executed for their faith in Jesus Christ globally than at any other time. Test me on that. Voice of the Martyrs, you could look at them. Uh, There's uh, 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 the Open Door, not the Open Door, it's, uh, I'm trying to think. There's another one out there that does the statistical research. It's pretty scary stuff. Why? Because they maintain the truth of God's word. They are uncompromising, but loving. They see their kids executed in front of them. Story of a kid a few years back, extremist Muslims in the Middle East 
had, had taken this 12-year-old boy of a father and said, we're going to crucify your son in front of you. And I remember this hit, this, this hit the global news. I don't know if you saw it or not. But he said, we're going to crucify your son unless you recant your faith in Christ. You need to convert to, to Islam. And the son told his dad, please don't do this. Don't, don't recant your faith. You know where we're headed. When I die, it's going to be okay. And so the dad did not recant his faith and watched his son be crucified in a mock execution the way Jesus was. Why do I tell you that? Because there's always hope for those who are willing to follow God even when they don't understand his ways. One of the biggest arguments against Christianity, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? There is no good person on the face of the earth. No matter how good you think you are, there is only one who is good. Jesus even said there's only one who's good, and that's the Father in heaven. We all deserve death, but the reality is if you have Christ, you have peace, and if you have peace, you have peace everlasting. Okay. Third point, the stubborn who refuse to admit their guilt and turn to God can never find peace. It's pretty simple. I see people constantly writhing in turmoil and agony and frustration. Pastor, why does this? Why is that? Why is that? How come it's all, it's always, a, and I hear these stories over and over and over. You know why? It's because you've not allowed Christ to take complete control of you. There's a part of you that you're holding back. Maybe it's not all of you, but there's a part of you you're holding back. And God won't just take part of you. He's got to take all of you. It's all or nothing in God's economy. And the church today is not hearing that very often. We're saying you can have a little bit of this with a little bit of this sprinkled into it. No, that's not how this works. Again, that's why Jesus drew the line in the sand all the time, as you are either for me or against me. That's even scriptural. Are you for him or against him? Because if you're only giving him a part of yourself, guess what? You're against him. If you're only giving him certain aspects of your life, your marriage, your parenting, who you are as an individual. If God doesn't have that, if he isn't the defining factor for who you are, rather than what you think you should be, then you're not gonna have peace. You'll struggle for the rest of your life trying to find peace in something other than the peace giver who can give it to you, the Prince of Peace. Let me close with this. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans puts things in a context very well for us today as I conclude. And I want you to hear this very clearly. Listen to this. This is one of the very topics he addressed in great detail as he contrasted the old covenant with the new covenant people in many, way, in many of his letters to the early church. You see, arguing for salvation and freedom in Christ, Paul addresses the concern that the Jewish people had missed the boat, so to speak, when they rejected Christ. There was a concern going on that the Jewish people obviously missed the boat and they're all going to hell. The concern was that they didn't truly understand or, or, or nor had they really been told that the Messiah had come and that he was truly the fulfillment of the old covenant and the prophets. Like the Israelites had rejected God through the course of their history as a chosen people, which ultimately led them to punishment and exile, Christians too run the risk of living in rebellion and stubbornness toward a God or toward God and his teachings if we're not careful. The same thing that happened in Isaiah's day and all the other prophets' day where they were being the clarion call of God to the nation. Turn back to God. Repent of your sin. Give yourselves over to the Lord. He will be merciful. Come back to God. Repent of your sin. He will be merciful to you. I promise. Christians, church today, that's still a clarion call, a timeless call of God. And honestly, again, I say it's not that complicated. The message of the gospel of Christ and of evangelism is this, Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? 
And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Church, are you listening? You can shy away from your responsibility as a believer in Christ to tell a broken and fallen and hurting world that there is a Lord who can set them free from sin and death if they're willing to surrender their lives to him. But we're too afraid of rejection. Church, we are too afraid that if we say something, it might hurt or offend somebody else's sensibilities or feelings. It's time to get over that. Not that you should go out and I'm not going to go out and try to be offensive. The gospel itself is offensive enough. I am to go in love, speaking the truth of God's words to a broken world so that maybe some of them might actually hear it for what it really is and can be set free from what keeps them from peace and hope and salvation. And how will anyone go unless How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, says Paul, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Do you believe that the gospel of Christ is good news? A couple of you do. Do you really believe that the gospel of Christ is good news? If you do, what are you doing with good news? What is that? When you get good news about something personal in your life, who's the first person you call? Right? I I hope you go to Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for this blessing. Who's the one? It's a clarion. Facebook. You put it on there, right? That was old McDonald had a farm in case you didn't hear that. It's all music to me. Anyway, the reality is, who's the person you go to? We put it out publicly. I won the lottery. Actually, you probably don't want to put that out publicly. You have people calling you up. Hey, uh, you remember that favor you owed me? No, but really, the first, when you find out you're pregnant, and then you're in the safe zone, and you, go, you want to go public, it's a clarion call. We're pregnant. Right? All of that kind of stuff. Why don't we do that with the gospel of Christ? If you truly believe it's good news, then doesn't it, doesn't it mean it would be good news for other people too? Uh, let me ask you this. If it is good news and you withhold it from somebody else, then is it bad news? Because you're treating it like bad news. Somebody gets a, you're a nurse or a doctor, and you know, I, I, I know some nurses and doctors, and they, they find out the test results come back for this one patient, and they're like, it's like, oh, yippee, I get to go tell them they got cancer. Woohoo! Now it's bad news. You try, you, you know, I, how can I say, what am I gonna do? And you pace the floor. I mean, this is something they do on a regular basis, right? What do you do when you get bad news? Some of you who are gossips maybe want to get on there and spring it around. But the reality is most of us are like, uh-uh. Oh, no. I, I, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to? How do I tell them this? Sad reality is in the church today we treat good news like bad news. Verse 16, not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. See, the message has gone out throughout the earth and the words to all the world. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand it? Paul says, yes, they did, actually. Before they lost their nation, before, do you know how many of the Lord's prophets came to them and said, this is a problem, fix it. This is a problem, fix it. They have, they are without excuse. They are without excuse. Yes, they did, Paul says, for even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. And by the time Jesus comes onto the scene, guess where the message is starting to go to? Starts to make its way to the Gentiles. And now there's a contention happening, and you can read about it historically. Historically. 
And later, Isaiah spoke boldly for God, saying, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. He's talking about you and me, unless you were born Jewish. But regarding Israel, God said, all day long I opened up my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. Church, we cannot be that way. We've got to learn from history and to take the good news into all the world. Look like a fool for Christ. Be rejected for Christ. It may be getting harder and harder for you to proclaim your faith in all of the truth that you can. But it's necessary, it's a command. To be light and to be salt is a public expression of our faith in Jesus Christ. Some time ago, an 18-year-old girl from Washington State attended a worship service for the first time in her life. She heard the gospel message that night. The following Tuesday, the members of the church received a letter from her. Listen to what she wrote to them. Dear church members, Last Sunday, I attended your church, and I heard the preacher. In the sermon, the preacher said that all men have sinned and rebelled against God. Because of their rebellion and disobedience, they all faced eternal damnation and separation from God. But then, he also said God loves man and woman and sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem men from their sins. And that all those who believe in him would go to heaven and live eternally with him. My parents recently died in rapid succession. And I know they didn't believe in Jesus Christ, whom you call the Savior of the world. If what you believe is true, they're in hell right now. You compel me to believe that either the message is true, that you yourself don't believe the message, or that you don't care. Which is it? You see, I live only three blocks away from your church, and no one has ever told us that message. What are you doing with the good news? Those of you that are in here have heard good news today. You have a choice. You can receive it or reject it. Again, God is not a forceful lover. He's not going to make you believe in him. But you do have a choice today. Either you believe that what I said is true, not because I said it, but because it's from the word of God, or you reject it. The reality is if you reject it, and I'm not a philosopher, a prophet, I'm not a soothsayer, I'm going to almost 100% bet that you will not have peace for the rest of your life. I want you to have peace, not because I think it's a notch in my belt of salvation because I presented a message of salvation, but rather because you were created by God with a purpose. And you'll forever be wondering what that purpose is, who you are defined as as an individual until you find hope and peace in Christ Jesus. And the only way to do that is to be completely surrendered. In church, I know many of us here are not completely surrendered. Church is just a habit. It's something we do on the side. But church isn't a place or a thing. It is a community of believers who join together and worship in, in, in accountability to walk this road called faith together because we weren't created to do it alone. And as we go, you know, they sent people out two by two. I'm not saying you go door to door with white shirts and black neckties on with pamphlets, but what I am saying is wherever you go, you should be light and salt. There should be a reason that people say, what is it about you? There's something different about you. But if they can't distinguish you, even without you saying a word from any other person, then what's, what's going on? Where are you taking the word of truth? As the worship team comes forward today to close us out, I, I don't know where you are. 
I don't pretend to know where you are in your faith or whether or not you even have a faith. I don't pretend to know where you are in your journey of life, trying to figure out who you are, what your purpose in life is. But I do know this. Your purpose cannot be found apart from Christ. If it's true that God created you, as the psalmist says, that knit you together in your mother's womb, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, then he created you with you in mind. He will never call you to be something that is contrary to his word, but rather will fulfill within you all he created you to be when you are completely tied to him. If you feel the Holy Spirit moving on you, and it can feel like this sense of anxiety, I know I get that whenever I feel, as a kid, I can remember, oh, if my heart's racing, I'm starting to break out in a sweat. It's the Holy Spirit's conviction. That's what that is. It isn't because uh, you got stomach problems, right? If these words have spoken to you and you feel this sense come up in you that I got to do something about this, but I don't know, and you, we, you have a choice. You can either run straight out the door screaming for your dear life, or you can come and surrender your life here. You come to my right, your left, if you want somebody to pray with you. We have a prayer team that's willing to come pray with you. You can come to my left, your right, and you can reckon with God on your own. Again, as I always say, don't leave this place, don't leave your home today until you come to this place where you are square in the presence of God and you either say, God, if you're real, I'm open to you. Or you say, God, I don't believe in you. I don't even know why I'm talking. Let me pray over you. Father, in this place, as every Sunday, my hope and my prayer, even throughout the week, is that you would be glorified. That, God, you would pierce through the darkness of the baggage that people bring into this place. The oppressive weight of the enemy that rests on people that step into this place because of the burdens and the cares of this world, because of the lies of the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy not only their life in this place, but their life everlasting. Draw them close to you this day, I pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon this place in encouragement and conviction. Transform minds, conform hearts to your will, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.